yeah, right, I'm going to talk after that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. I didn't really get to sing when you turned around. I was choked up by then. All right. Why don't we just pray? That'd be good. Father in heaven, you are great. And we have shared in this moment of awareness. And now we come to you as your people, ready to hear from your word one more time. From this book of Daniel, where you've blessed us this fall. Lord, help us to hear. There is a great word of courage here. Help us to hear it so that we can live it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So we've been at Daniel here this fall and uh, looking in different places. And very interesting book, Daniel. There's stories and then there's also uh, prophecies. So some of the weeks been pretty heavy in here and we've gotten pretty serious looking at a lot of details Some of the weeks were stories as well, but they're heavy in their own way. And the truth is, we haven't even gotten to the end of the book. We're we're not even going to make it. We didn't even get all of it. There's a few chapters left, but but we just got to go on to something else. Maybe we'll come back another time and try to pick those up. But but we're going to... We're going to step back this time because, you see, we moved along and we, we jumped ahead, but we left a story out. Does anybody know which story we left out? Well, only the most famous story, right? Daniel chapter 6. Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we read, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Okay, now in these first two verses, there's a lot of information here you need to understand. Babylon is done. We've moved on to the empire of the Medes and the Persians. Now... As you recall, Daniel was taken by the Babylonians away into captivity, Babylonians taken into captivity, and a period of time was to pass before the exile would be over. The prophet Jeremiah had said 70 years would pass. And Daniel was in Babylon, and he was there during the years of Nebuchadnezzar, and then there during the years after. But now the empire of Babylon has fallen and the empire of the Medes and the Persians has arisen, just like the vision from Daniel chapter 2 said would happen. The next kingdom has come and the Medes and the Persians are now in charge. But if you'll remember, Daniel transitioned from a leader in Babylon to a leader with the Medes and the Persians. Sometimes it's not so bad to be in exile. You don't get lumped in with the ones that got defeated that way. And so here's Daniel, quite remarkably, you'll remember at the end of, of the story of the fall of Babylon, he reads the writing on the wall, and, and then uh, they say, here, you can be the third leader. And Daniel's like, I don't think I want that right now, because the city's falling tonight. But when the Medes and the Persians came, they made him a leader in their empire as well. Daniel's getting old by now. 
Now the way that the Medes and the Persians handled their empire was they divided it up into sections. They called them satrapies. And over the top of them was a satrap who was kind of like a governor. And there were 120 of these. And then these reported back to three, this chapter tells us, administrators who were then in charge of those regions. Now it says that the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Okay, empires were a little different at this point. And if you'll remember, the Medo-Persian Empire was huge. It stretched all the way from, from what we would call Turkey all the way over to, to where modern-day Istanbul is, all the way over to starting to get into India. So it was a massive area and down to Egypt. And the way empires worked in those days, you conquered a people, but they didn't necessarily then become Medes or Persians. They continued to be what they were. And you just kind of divided them into little groups and you put leaders over those groups. And what really made you a part of the empire was that the Medes and the Persians taxed your people and you sent them your money. And so that's how you got to be part of the empire. So it was not so fun, but that's how it worked. And so this massive empire, so, so the reason they were in place is so that the king might not suffer loss. So verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. All right, have you ever been in a work environment when you're doing a really good job and some of those up there have begun to notice the good job you're doing and they're going to promote you, but there's some other people that you work with that aren't so keen to see that happen. You ever been in a situation like that? Daniel's in one of those right now. Verse 4, at this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. I tell you what, Integrity will be your best friend on the day when you face a crisis. They wanted to cut him down, so they looked into everything he did. But it turns out he did it all right. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. You know, there's, there's kind of a four-quadrant thing here. You can be corrupt and negligent. Maybe you've worked with people like that before. Not fun. Or you can be not negligent, but corrupt. Now those people are trouble. You can be not corrupt, but negligent. You're just lazy. You don't get anything done. Or then there's Daniel, neither corrupt nor negligent. That's what we're going for. That's what we want to be. So verse five, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. May that be true for every one of us. May we, in the way we live our lives, and in the way we conduct our business, in whatever it is, be so honest and so diligent that the only thing they could find against us has to do with our faithfulness to God's law. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. 
The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now this is a very strange decree to be coming from the Medes and the Persians. Because like I said, they were not so much trying to integrate all the other peoples into their reality. They just wanted to tax them and get their money. So it was very unusual for the Medes and the Persians to be enforcing any kind of rules related to worship. They were generally very open to it. But one possibility as to why the king might have thought this was a good idea, this very likely, this event very likely takes place very shortly after Babylon has been overthrown. And what better way to bring about a unity amongst the people than to decree some sort of common worship for a period of time? And in fact, if we look back at Daniel chapter 3, that's exactly what was going on when Nebuchadnezzar erected the image. You remember that? Get everybody to worship the same way and it will bring about a unity. So there was an argument to make here. And this wasn't such a stretch because in the Medes and Persian concept of the king, he was kind of a divine figure anyway. So, so it kind of made sense. And the king listened and verse 8, now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Okay, so now as we were doing this one, we mentioned the lion's den. A lion's den was a, was a, a very unfortunate place of punishment. You didn't come out of there. And if you really did wrong, you could count on being grabbed and thrown in there to be made a spectacle of. But as we were talking about this as a staff and talking about the idea of Daniel in the lion's den, well, well, Patty was very keen again to see this maybe done in a first person kind of thing. And I personally uh, didn't really want to do Daniel because I feel a little uncomfortable doing those real heroes. And, and I don't know about the king. That would be a little pretentious probably. So, so Patty had a really good idea, or at least she thought it was, and that I should do it in a first person kind of thing as a lion. Now, I didn't really think that would work so well, but she really pursued the idea and came along with it and, and put together a little plan on how that might go. So, so in the spirit of William Miller, uh, here, here is a lion, and this is what we were going to try to model it on. And then this was Patty's suggestion for what we go with. So, I don't know. I don't really think it works. So, Yeah be glad when this series is over I think you just you just can't unsee these images can you they just burn wow all right I got to give her more to do I can see that okay verse 10 now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Why did he do this? Well, do you remember at all the, the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple? 
Solomon prayed a prayer, and there's a very strange passage in that prayer. He says, if the people are ever taken away, if they will kneel and pray towards this place, O Lord, hear from heaven. And we know already that Daniel is very familiar with the writings of his people. He's quoted from Jeremiah. He's uh, quoted things from the law of Moses. And, And now here he is doing what Solomon said to do should his situation ever arise. To Daniel, this is more than just a religious practice. To him, it is a command of God. And on principle, he has, throughout his time, kneeled and prayed towards Jerusalem. You know, he could have very easily just closed the window and prayed in his room. And he could have easily passed that off as, well, I'm still praying and I I know roughly which way Jerusalem is. But this was more important to Daniel. You know, I think you finally reach a point in your life, and it can happen young or it can happen old, when being faithful to God just seems more important than your life. And doing what he's called you to do just seems to matter more. You know, I think that's the reason why Daniel was never corrupt. He just didn't care that much about the stuff of the world. He wasn't looking for the idol kingdom. He was looking for the stone kingdom that grows to fill the earth. When you're not in love with the things of the world, integrity is pretty easy. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den and the king falling into his own trap. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed. One of the ways that the Persians kept this massive empire in order and kept it from being just totally crazy was they agreed that once we make a law, it can't be repealed. That's the way it's going to be. Verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. Do you notice the parallel language here from Daniel 3? Do you remember with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow down? They went to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, there are three of the exiles of Judah who pay no attention to what you said. It's the exact same kind of story. Verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So the king now has been caught in his trap. And now he sees what they've done. And he doesn't want to lose Daniel. I mean, he's the only one of his officers, obviously, that isn't corrupt. He doesn't want to lose this guy. 
And so he tries all day to figure out some legal context, some loophole, some way he can get Daniel off. But he can't. Verse 15, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. This is a pretty big deal because part of being king of Persia meant the big evening feast and the entertainments and all of these amazing things. But he didn't want that tonight. Now, one of the things very interesting, I think, about Daniel chapter 6 is it's written in the context of an omniscient narrator. The, The writer of the story tells us about everything that happens as we go along, but we never really completely get inside the heads of the character. I mean, we do a little bit here by seeing what the king did or didn't do, and some words like, like he was concerned or he tried all day, but we're not really getting his perspective. And the other thing is we're not getting Daniel's. Don't you think it would have been interesting if this had been written from the perspective of Daniel and he could have told us a little bit about what it was like that night? in the den we don't know anything about what went on in there it's very interesting the way it's put together and if you go to some of the later prophecies we do get that inside view of Daniel where he says I was greatly troubled or I did not understand or these things but we don't get any of that here we just see Daniel being faithful and maybe there's an insight there for us Because we read this story and the only thing we see is Daniel resolutely going up and praying, Daniel resolutely going into the lion's den, and not to give it away, but I think you already know, Daniel coming out later. What we don't get is what goes on on the inside. And you know what I'll bet was going on in the inside? I'll bet it was very similar to what goes on in your mind. There was fearfulness. There was worry. There was concern, but there was also faith and hope. And do you know what? If we will be faithful and hang on to that faith and hope, people will mistake us for courageous people. Because all they'll see is us walking wherever the Lord has led and facing whatever the challenge is. They won't know what's going on here. All they'll see is faithful people. That's what happens when we hang on to faith and hope. But it goes on, verse 19. The first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. The king was waiting. Have you ever waited for morning? Boy, it takes forever. Doesn't take long when you're sleeping. But man, if you're not sleeping, morning takes forever. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, 
Has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Powerful story. Okay, what comes next is the justice part of the story. And sometimes we kind of jump over that part. But do you really want a world where there is no justice? Do you really want a world where those who are corrupt and insist on remaining corrupt are allowed to continue forever to be corrupt? Verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Isn't it amazing? You go back. Who's in control of the kingdoms of the world? You go back to Babylon, the great king of Babylon, and he sees a vision and he ends up praising God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand for their faith. And he ends up issuing a decree to praise God. And now a whole new kingdom has come along, the next one in the line, because it defeated the Babylonians. Surely now we have the powerful kingdom, right? But no, now we have another king issuing a decree that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God who endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. You know, I don't think this king saw the vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw with the stone that comes and grows and fills the earth and lasts forever. Yet somehow he knows just as well that the kingdom of God goes on forever. Verse 27, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's amazing the similarities with this story and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In both situations, we see this. Someone creates a scenario where we are forced to stand on principle, or at least the character in the story is. And you know what? It happens to us as well. And whenever it happens, just like it happened to Daniel, then we must make a choice. The decree is passed. Pray to no one but the king for 30 days. Time for Daniel to make a choice. Faithful or unfaithful. And realize Both choices have consequences. The same thing happened for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The challenge comes. Bow down before the image. Faithful or unfaithful? Consequences go with those decisions. If they'd bowed down, 
We'd never know the story. But because they stood on their faith, God worked a mighty deliverance in their lives. If Daniel had closed the windows, we'd never know the story. But because he stood on his faith in God, God worked a mighty deliverance. Here's the thing. We will all spend at least one night in the lion's den. Some of you have spent more than that. But here's what we need to always remember from the story of Daniel and from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The story isn't over until God gives you rest. Just because you've been thrown to the lions doesn't mean your story's over if God says it isn't over yet. So don't panic. Pray. And then stand on God's sure word for your life. There are many that he gives us, but here's one I want you to hear today. John 11, verse 25, Jesus talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That is the sure word you must take with you into the lion's den every time you're thrown in there. Sometimes... We survive the night of peril. Other times we don't, and the lions devour us. But in truth, it really doesn't matter in the end, because either either way, the king will call us in the morning. Whether we make it through the night in the den... Or whether the lions have devoured us, we know and can stand on the sure word that the king will call us in the morning. Daniel was an old man when he faced the lions. He was miraculously delivered that night, but I'm pretty sure he's not still alive today. He probably, in fact, didn't live that much longer after his life was saved. But here's the deal. God decided Daniel's story wasn't over with the lions. Instead, God saw the lions as one more chance to tell a pagan king that the living God of heaven rules over the nations of the earth. And who knows for sure what the timing of all this was? Maybe Daniel still had a few prophecies he needed to write. Daniel's story wasn't over until God finally gave him rest. And your story won't be over until God gives you rest. We don't always know what tomorrow will bring, but keep listening for the king's voice. Stay calm. Keep your courage. Endure. And know this. Because of Jesus, the end is certain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for Jesus.
the one who is everywhere in the book of Daniel, the hero who receives the kingdom, the one who comes and walks in the flames, the one who comes to keep the covenant with God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we're learning to hear his voice because we know we will go into the lion's den. And even if we don't come out, we know that on that golden morning, Jesus will come and call our names. So, Jesus, we're going to listen for your voice. And we're going to wait for your deliverance because we know the end is certain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.